God for showing up for Sunday school. Wow. This is our, uh, this is our, first, uh, our first string right here. This is, uh, warms my heart to see you all. It's day two uh, in the middle. <laughs> uh, before we pray and get started, today we're talking about the Lord's Day. Um, much of what I'm going to discuss today comes actually from this book by uh, Joseph Pipa, The Lord's Day, a wonderful resource. We're only going to scratch the surface of studying the Lord's Day. I have, I have two hopes for today, uh, two commitments that I'm making to myself, and I hope I don't break them. One, that we're only going to make this one class. We're not going to stretch the Lord's Day into multiple classes like we've done with others. And two, that we spend some time uh, toward the end discussing the practice of the Lord's Day and not just uh, the doctrine. So I've actually set myself an alarm. Uh, it's a crutch that I need. Uh, and when it goes off, just after 10 o'clock, we will uh, switch gears and we'll have more of a discussion. I, I'd love to hear, I know there are some folks here that uh, are committed to observing the Lord's Day and making that a practice in their families. And I'd love to hear from you uh, as, to, uh, as to what you do in, in your homes, and, and hopefully we can all be sharpened by that. But uh, all that to say, this is an excellent resource. If you want to dive deeper on uh, the Lord's Day and what it is and, and how you can sanctify the Lord's Day and how you can practice the Sabbath, uh, I have one copy, and I'm happy to loan it out uh, in turn to whoever wants it. Um, so it's available, or uh, I can uh, probably recommend some other good things for you. So let's, uh, let's open in a word of prayer, and we'll get started in our discussion. Gracious Lord, we thank you for this day that you have made. Help us today, O Lord, to rejoice and be glad in this day. Uh, help us to rejoice in your provision for us, your fullness for us. Help us to remember that you are the God of uh, creation and power and recreation and rest. Help us to find our rest and our identity in you today and refresh us by your spirit as you meet us in your word. We ask these things in Jesus' name, amen. I want to start our discussion on the Lord's Day today with a, uh, a quote from uh, a, uh, a little-known Massachusetts general law. This is still on the books. Uh, you can find this, uh, I, I just did a Google search, uh, Massachusetts Blue Laws. Uh, this is still a part of the Massachusetts Legal Code. Title 20, Chapter 136, Section 5. Here's what it says. Whoever on Sunday keeps open his shop, warehouse, factory, or other place of business, or sells foodstuffs, goods, wares, merchandise, or real estate, or does any manner of labor, business, or work, except works of necessity and charity, shall be punished by a fine of not less than $20, nor more than $100 for a first offense, and a fine of not less than $50, not more than $200 for each subsequent offense, and each unlawful act or sale shall constitute a separate offense. That's still on the books uh, in Massachusetts general law. Now, it's interesting when you see that, uh, that is section 5, section 6 uh, of that same chapter of, uh, of the law, begins to list out certain clauses, and you can almost go through and, and guess the time that those clauses were added as amendments, uh, because section six says that section five uh, will not put restrictions on the following things, and then there are 55 clauses, things that, that this doesn't apply to. Uh, and here are some of them, clause number nine. It, that doesn't apply to the showing sale or rental of non-commercial real property to be used for residential purposes. Okay, so at some point we said, uh, right, right. Uh, so at some point they said, well, non-commercial real estate, you can sell that on the Lord's Day, but not commercial real estate, that's different. Uh, number 11, clause 11, the operation of libraries. Well, that's, that's restful, right? Uh, and we want to be enriched on the Lord's Day. Number 12, uh, the operation of public bathhouses, 24, the making and, and baking of bakery products and the sale thereof in a shop or a store. Uh, number 47, the sale of tickets or shares for the state lottery. That is a, a rather late addition. Uh, number, and this one's interesting. This is uh, section or, or clause 54 and a half. Uh, the performance of massage therapy services by a massage therapist licensed pursuant to section 228 of chapter 112. Now, I bring all this up just to illustrate, and I think what you see as you read through those clauses, 
you can see a gradual shift even in the wider culture. There are probably some people here who remember uh, what it was like when the Sabbath was actually observed culturally, not just in the church, uh, but there is a shift. There was a time when blue laws were prevalent everywhere and shops just simply weren't open or many shops weren't open. Uh, but we see that shift happening in our culture, and it's almost as though you can go through and you can watch it happening. Uh, but in addition to having a shift in the wider culture away from the Sabbath observance, there is also a shift away from Sabbath observance in the Christian church. Uh, and it's maybe not as identifiable. We don't have 55 clauses that show us uh, the trajectory of the church moving away from the Lord's Day, but it has happened. Uh, and what used to be a mark of Christian piety uh, is the sort of thing that people who don't observe the Lord's Day look at us Reformed folks and think, you guys are strange. Uh, why would you have a day set aside where you, you make this big long list of all the things that you won't do because it's the Lord's Day and, and that's strange, but there actually used to be widespread agreement on the observance of the Lord's Day. So here's what the London Baptist Confession said. 1689, the London Baptist Confession, the Sabbath is kept holy unto the Lord when men, after a due preparing of their hearts and ordering their common affairs beforehand, do not only observe a holy rest all day from their own works, words, and thoughts about their worldly employments and recreations, but are also taken up the whole time in the public and private exercises of God's worship and in the duties of necessity and mercy. That sounds pretty intense. Taken up the whole time in worship and works of uh, duty and necessity and mercy. Uh, but you need to know that that language in the London Baptist Confession is taken almost verbatim from the section of our own Westminster Confession. Uh, the Baptists lifted it from the Presbyterians and said, yeah, that's good. We agree with that. And it is also almost verbatim with the uh, Savoy Declaration of Faith and Order. We've got some uh, Congregationalists with us this morning. That's the Congregational Statement of Faith, the Savoy Declaration. And it, too, is almost verbatim. And there used to be a widespread agreement that if you were a believer in Christ, you hallowed the Lord's Day, and not so much anymore. And people look uh, at those of us who take the Lord's Day seriously, and they say, wow, that's... That's really intense. Or, or maybe uh, you hear that word, well, that's awfully legalistic, isn't it? You see very few denominations anymore, even uh, Presbyterian denominations, emphasizing the blessing and the command of Sabbath observance. Now, I, I think, and, and hopefully you'll see as we go through, that if we lose observance of the Sabbath day and uh, an observation of the Lord's day, we lose an awful lot uh, in our faith. Uh, not only do we lose some semblance of obedience unto the Lord's moral law, uh, but there are blessings that we lose when we cast aside the Sabbath and we use it for our own purposes, our own pleasures, rather than what the Lord has said uh, it is for. And so my goal uh, with the doctrinal portion is to look very quickly, as I said, we're going to shift uh, to a practical discussion, but to look very quickly at three primary texts. You could go down any number of rabbit trails with the Sabbath, uh, in Scripture, but we're going to look at three primary texts. The first one uh, is from Exodus, chapter 20, uh, where we find it in uh, the Ten Commandments. Exodus, chapter 20. And the fourth commandment, uh, to uh, keep the Sabbath day, shows up beginning in verse 8. Verses 8 through 11. This is what it says in Exodus. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates, for in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Now, the first thing to notice about this commandment is where it is, where it falls uh, in God's revelation. It is a part of the Ten Commandments. Now, you might know, what do we normally call the Ten Commandments in Presbyterian parlance, in, uh, in Reformed language? The law, more specific, the what law? 
the moral law. So we generally look at Old Testament law and we divide it into three groups. I think a good way to do that, the moral law, the ceremonial law, uh, and the judiciary laws, or the laws that were given to Israel as, uh, as a nation state. Uh, so laws generally reflecting God's moral character, things like don't kill, don't steal, honor your father and mother, uh, and the, the first four of this, this first table of the law. And so it's important to note that this shows up as one of God's moral laws. How many of the Ten Commandments, how many of God's moral laws are still in effect for God's people now, the New Testament believers? All of them? All of them? Yeah, this is an important place to start. Um, to recognize that, that this shows up as a moral issue, not a ceremonial issue. There are lots of other laws that are given to God's people that are ceremonial, specifically the particular feast days in the Old Testament and particular Sabbaths. You'll sometimes hear it spoken of as days and months and feasts. Many of those are ceremonial, but this shows up in the context of the moral law. Uh, and it is also, uh, it, it shows ma uh, man's duty to God. And so it's a moral issue. Now, what is this commandment specifically? What is the verb here that we are commanded? Remember. Okay? So we, are, we receive a command to remember, and there's also a purpose for remembrance. What is the purpose? Bill, you said it. Now, to remember to what? To keep. Yeah. So there is an imperative, an infinitive, and an infinitive. If you're reading the NIV here, it will say, remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. That's a wrong translation. Uh, it is actually, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy or in order to keep it holy. Now, what difference does this make? Well, notice that this is a positive command. There are only two positive commands out of the ten. Most of them are negative. Do not steal, do not commit adultery, do not kill, do not uh, make graven images, do not uh, abuse the Lord's name, but do honor your father and mother, do remember the Lord's day. Why does God have to command us to remember the Lord's day? Lee? But I bet you're mumbling the right answer. <laughs> I am the Lord your God. You shall have no other gods before me. So it depends on how you break down these commandments. Um, the Presbyterian way of breaking them down is that those two are together. There's a preface. I am the Lord your God, and here's the commandment. You shall have no other gods before me. Um, so, yeah, we could, we could debate about that. Generally, this is the way that we break them down. The first four, uh, no other gods, no graven images, uh, don't take the Lord's name in vain, honor the Sabbath. First four and then the last six. So why does God need to command us to remember the Lord's day, the Sabbath day, to keep it holy? We're prone to forget. Yes. Yeah. This is something that we need to do and keep our minds on. We see this often in Scripture, how often we forget things. Uh, and, and God is shown as the one who remembers. He shows up uh, earlier in Exodus. Uh, he remembers the covenant he's made with his people. That's part of uh, of God's uh, glory, that he remembers the things that he said, and we forget, and we go astray. And the Lord puts this before us as a positive moral command. Remember the Lord's day. I think it also instructs us that if we are going to keep this commandment, uh, that it doesn't happen just when we wake up uh, on Sunday or for the Jews at sundown on Friday, if there's not some preparation for these things. We can't really keep the Sabbath very well if we're not prepared to keep the Sabbath. Uh, because then, you know, it gets to be in our household, it's Sunday afternoon, and somebody needs a cup of milk, and we're out of milk, and we didn't prepare beforehand. We didn't have the things on hand that we need so that we don't have to go out and do commerce and, and some of these other things. And we'll, we'll talk about commerce in a little bit, uh, whether that's lawful or not lawful. Uh, yeah, so we need to remember. So it's a, a moral and a positive command. Um, and you see preparation in the Old Testament. God gives men in the wilderness and he tells them, prepare the day before. Gather twice as much so that you're ready, so that you don't have to do labor. Um, and notice then toward the end in verse 11, 
that there is a foundation, something that, uh, that serves as the basis for why we remember. So there's a command and there's a purpose, and then there's a basis uh, on which our remembrance is built. What is it? It's creation. Now, what difference does that make? What other things has the Lord given to us, to humanity, uh, that show up in creation or early before the fall that are to be perpetual remembrances that are to show us something about who God is? Marriage is a really good one. Is marriage given just to Jews or just to Christians, or is marriage given to all of humanity? Sure, at that time, there is no Jew or Christian. There's just God and his creation, and he gives it as a gift. That's the same way the Lord has given the Sabbath day. He gives it as a, a gift to humanity. It's good, I think. I'm, I'm not a theonomist by any stretch of the imagination. I don't think that uh, the state and the church ought to be uh, commingled, and the, the state shouldn't tell the church how to run its business, but I think the state ought to, uh, to set these blue laws in place because it's a cultural thing. It's a, it's a human thing that all people ought to observe one day of rest, to clear our schedules so that we can worship the Lord. And many people will not use it for worship if that were to, to happen in our culture, but that doesn't change the purpose, that it's, it's something given to humanity. And, and it, I think it's something that is to endure. That we don't look at the, at the Sabbath and say, well, you know, uh, it was just this ceremonial thing that was just given to one little group of people to deal with some portion of sin. No, 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 no. Uh, the, uh, the Westminster calls it a uh, God in his word by a positive, moral, perpetual commandment. Uh, moral, positive, excuse me. God in his word by a positive, moral, perpetual commandment, binding all men in all ages, has particularly appointed one day in seven for a Sabbath to be kept holy unto him. So there's the basic principle of the Sabbath. Uh, and things change when you go from the Old Testament to the New Testament, and we won't look at the Westminster when it deals with, you know, at one point it's, it's the last day, and then it changes to the first day because of Christ's resurrection. No, we could go off on a, on a tangent there. But here's the principle, that God sets forth this principle of one day out of seven, one whole day out of seven that it, we are to remember, we're to prepare for it, uh, and we are to, to, to observe it so that it would be holy particularly by resting. In fact, that's what the word Sabbath means. Uh, the Hebrew word sabbat means to stop, to cease, to rest. And that's what Sabbath is. It's a day of stopping. And so you don't do normal things that you might do on other days. All right, the second passage is Isaiah chapter 58, verses 13 to 14. Turn there with me if you can. And apologies if I'm rushing through some of these things. I really want to get to the point where we can uh, sit back and, and simply talk about what this looks like. Isaiah chapter 58, verses 13 and 14. Here's what it says. If you turn back your foot from the Sabbath, from doing your pleasure on my holy day, and call the Sabbath a delight, and the holy day of the Lord honorable, if you honor it, not going your own ways, or seeking your own pleasure, or talking idly, then you shall take delight in the Lord, and I will make you ride on the heights of the earth, I will feed you with the heritage of Jacob your father, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Now, just briefly in this passage, I think we see three things, pretty typical of my preaching style. Uh, there is a warning, there is an encouragement, and there is a promise. So there's a warning. What is, what is God, through the prophet Isaiah, calling his people away from in this passage? Our pleasure. Now, who has one of our ESVs in front of you? Okay, what's the footnote say? Wrong, 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 wrong. Uh, that, I think, is a, that footnote uh, is a capitulation to the spirit of the age. Uh, the vast history of English translation of this passage has been to translate this as pleasure. And you notice that the ESV leaves it in the text, and they tell you in the margin, well, it could be business. Uh, and this is a very common word that is very commonly translated as 
pleasure or will or desire. Now, it may be that the pleasure of the people that it's speaking of was to do business rather than to seek the Lord, but uh, the word remains, and I think there's a, a, a parallel between the idea here of seeking our own pleasure rather than the delight of the Sabbath, and you see those parallels. Those are actually two different words, but seeking our pleasure on the Lord's day rather than the delight of the Sabbath. And God is saying, well, you know, the Sabbath is not just about um, not doing work. I think here is one of the ways that we fall into a trap when we try to be really fastidious about the Sabbath, that it, we start with a list of here are the things that we don't do. Now, well, I don't work. Okay, that's all God said. I, I just don't have to work. And we turn it instead into a day of idleness. You know what it says there. You turn from doing your pleasure or speaking an idle word. You say, well, I want to rest. Well, there's a difference between rest and idleness. And, and we'll talk, hopefully, about good forms of, of rest that don't devolve into idleness. But I know when, when Sarah and I first became Presbyterian and we got this idea of the Sabbath, that's what we did. We just, well, uh, you know, remember our, uh, I think my in-laws came to, to stay with us. We came home from church on a Sunday. They said, what are we going to do? And we said, nothing. Yeah, but like, what? nope, nothing. We're just going to sit here because it's a day of rest. Yeah, it was a day of idleness. I think that's one of the challenges that we have, that, that we not allow the day to, to slip into idleness. There's actually a purpose for the day, and pursuing our own pleasures and turning it into idleness does not pursue the purpose of the day, of sanctifying it, making it holy, of, of making it a day of worship. Uh, what's the encouragement here? Call them away from uh, doing their pleasure and speaking an idle word and call them toward what? Delighting in God. Call the Sabbath a delight. Uh, that's a hard thing to, to put our finger on. Well, what does that mean? Especially if you happen to grow up in one of those staunch Presbyterian homes where uh, Sabbath observance was basically a list of here's what you don't do. And children especially, you bring them home from church, you sit them in a corner, you give them a Bible story, and that's it. Uh, and where is the delight in that? No, no there's got to be a way to pursue this positive commandment in a way that we can find delight in the Lord. But there's some discipline involved here. You think about, uh, we, we spoke in this session meeting this week of Psalm 119, uh, where it speaks of the delight of God's word. And that's a hard thing to get to sometimes, unless you're steeping yourself in God's word. We don't take much delight in God's word if we, if we never really read it. If we're never really engaged with it, we're, we're not going to delight ourselves in God's word. Same with the Sabbath. If we're not really engaged with observance of the Sabbath, well, of course it's not going to be a delight. At most, it becomes a sort of nothing floating back there, and at worst, it becomes drudgery. Uh, but there's an encouragement here. Not your own pleasure, but delight in the Sabbath. There is a, a purpose for the day, rest for the purpose of worship and refreshment. And so this is what we're calling to. What's the promise that we find here? I think there are actually three. Ride on the heights of the earth. What was, what was the other one, Bill? Feed you with the heritage of Jacob. So, uh, land, inheritance, uh, these are pretty Old Testament uh, images, aren't they? But ones that we understand uh, from the New Testament. The meek shall inherit the earth, that's taken up by Christ. Uh, that we receive a heritage in uh, an inheritance uh, as, as we are called sons and daughters of God. Well, what's the last one? What's the other promise here? Well, right, it's the first. You will take delight in the Lord. It's almost like that passage somewhere in the, in the Minor Prophets um, where the Lord says, test me and see. He's speaking of the tithe and those who are withholding the tithe. Test me and see if I will not open the floodgates of heaven uh, and give you more than you can, you can comprehend. Now, we could pretty quickly uh, turn that into uh, prosperity gospel, Right? Uh, but I think it's the same idea here. If you will turn from seeking your pleasure on the Lord's Day, call the Lord's Day a delight, here's what I'll do. I'll make you delight in the Lord. Not just in the Lord's Day, but in the Lord who has given that day, that day that should be honorable, and it's this promise. If you want to delight in the Lord, 
Try Sabbath observance. He gives us a promise here. If you, if you do these things, uh, I will, will give this. All right. Uh, and then the last passage. Ooh, this is good. We're moving right along. Uh, Matthew chapter 12. Matthew chapter 12, we're going to read verses 1 through 8, although it's really interesting that verses 9 to 14 uh, are also dealing with the Sabbath and what Jesus does on the Sabbath to heal, uh, but we're not going to look at that. We're going to look at verses 1 through 8, Matthew chapter 12, hear God's word. At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry, and they began to pluck heads of grain and to eat. When the Pharisees saw it, they said to him, Look, your disciples are doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. He said to them, Have you not read what David did when he was hungry and those who were with him? How he entered the house of God and ate the bread of the presence, which it was not lawful for him to eat, nor for those who were with him, but only for the priests? Or have you not read in the law how on the Sabbath, the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath and are guiltless. I tell you, something greater than the temple is here. And if you had known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the guiltless. For the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. There are lots of avenues, again, that we could go down with this one. Um, Jesus is pulling from uh, at least four separate places in the Old Testament to make his case against the, against the Pharisees and what they are condemning him and his followers for. Uh, but I think the basic place to start is, uh, did the Pharisees have a case? Were Jesus' disciples doing what was not lawful to do on the Sabbath? What was their charge? What did they think that the disciples were doing? They're harvesting. They're working. Oh, the gall of some people to harvest on the Lord's Day. Well, what was happening is they were gleaning, and in Deuteronomy chapter 25, it specifically says that if you walk through your neighbor's field, you may not uh, gather a bunch in a basket and take it home with you, but you can walk along and you can pluck the heads of grain and, and you can eat them. It was, in a sense, common property as you go through. There are some of these orchards that you go through that you're able, and they tell you you can pick your bag of apples and you'll pay for them at the end, but while you're out there, if you want to eat an apple, go for it. Okay, great. And so they're out there, Deuteronomy chapter 25-ing through the fields, and, and they're eating some of the grain. So what were they concerned with? Uh, the Pharisees. Their additions to the law. If you go back and you see the way uh, you know, the Lord in Isaiah and the prophets before the exile... Uh, speak a lot about the lack of Sabbath observance among the Israelites, and they go into exile, and they recognize uh, that they have not kept up with some of these things that are meant to set them apart from the world, and so they have gone after uh, pursuing their own goods, and so they, they put fences around the Sabbath to keep people from coming anywhere near uh, transgressing the Sabbath, and it becomes this huge list of human traditions and they had a whole long list. They had 35 chapters, I think, 39 chapters, uh, with subdivisions, innumerable subdivisions about things you could and couldn't do on the Sabbath. Ridiculous things, man-made laws. So one of the things was um, you may untie a burden. That's not work on the Lord's Day, but you may not tie a burden. So if it happened to be uh, dusk on Friday and you were wearing a belt, you could take your belt off. You could not put it back on. That was tying a burden. And you see, sometimes Jesus turning that back around on the Pharisees, there's a, an incident where they ask him about healing a woman on the Sabbath, and he says, he uses their reasoning, shouldn't this woman who has been bound by Satan be released on the Lord's day? And they know what's up. Can't you, isn't it good to do good on the Sabbath and to, and to help people? And by releasing this burden, and they say, well, yeah, we're trapped. <laughs> He's releasing. That's what he's doing. That's, that's what we said. Uh, and so it's all of this man-made tradition that he's dealing with. Now, notice what he does. Notice his response. He uses two primary arguments that, that move from the lesser to the greater. Uh-huh, and there it is. All right, so let's finish this one up, and then we'll move on quickly. Um, 
two arguments that move from the lesser to the greater. First, uh, he says David and his men actually transgressed the law, and, and we know that it happened on the Sabbath, if you go back and you read that, because the law says that there were 12 loaves of bread that would be replaced every Sabbath before the presence of the Lord. That's what it's talking about. David and his men are on the run from Saul, uh, and they come into the temple, and it was only the bread of the presence was only to be eaten by the priests. And he says, we're hungry. Do you have anything? And he says, well, uh, I've got the bread of the presence, and you can have it if you've kept yourselves from defilement. Oh, yeah, yeah, we've done that. And so what Jesus is doing is he's saying there is a purpose to the Lord's day that supersedes the ceremonial law. That's the law that was being transgressed. He actually almost sets up a hierarchy of these laws. Well, it wasn't part of God's moral law, but it was part of the ceremonial law. And there's a, an interesting parallel. You know, God's anointed man and his followers are outdoing God's business, David and his, his men. And now Jesus, the greater anointed one, and his followers are outdoing God's business, and they're hungry, and, and there is a, a necessity here that people have to eat. And so it's not wrong to meet the necessities of the body on the Lord's day. And that serves the purposes of the day, rest and refreshment. And then he uses the other one. He says the priest in the temple. Now, the priests in the temple, you may know, have a harder work day on the Lord's day than they would during the normal week. I spend a lot of time doing work on Sabbath uh, on the Lord's day that I don't normally do throughout the rest of the week. I come and I preach and I teach and I speak to you lovely people. Uh, and, and Jesus says when that happens, yeah, they're working, but they're guiltless. Why? Because their work is pursuing the purpose of the day, worship and piety. They're providing so that others can come and worship. And Jesus is basically saying, look, notice the irony here. They're following, the Pharisees are following Jesus around, seeing if they can catch him and trap him. Who is the one that is profaning the Lord's day? They're trying to catch innocent men. He says, you would not have condemned the guiltless. And so he says, there is, there's a purpose for the day, uh, and I'm going to show you how to do that. Does Jesus overturn the Lord's Day in this passage? Does he abrogate the Lord's Day? Does he say, the Lord's Day is unimportant for you because Jesus is here? Far from it. He reestablishes what it was always meant to be. In, in Joseph Piper's book, he has this great analogy uh, of, uh, and this will be the last point, and then we'll move on to the, uh, the practical discussion. He has this great analogy that sort of flows with the overarching theme in the book uh, of a park, that a king uh, establishes a park and gives it to his subjects, uh, and that's like the Lord establishing uh, the Sabbath, and you know, there are all these beautiful things in the park for personal refreshment and enjoyment of the grace of the king to give such gifts to his people. Uh, but over time, the park falls into disuse and disrepair, and you know, there's a nor'easter, and the limbs fall down, and nobody cleans them up, and the benches are broken, and stuff just doesn't work the way it should because nobody's keeping up with it. And so a reform group comes in, and they clean it up, and they clean it up real good, and they put a fence around the park, and they say, everybody look at this park and observe this park and just take notice. Now, you can't go in and sit on the bench, but you can look at the bench. You can't actually be refreshed in the park, but you can, you can know how much the Lord cares about you, how much the king cares about you by giving you this park. And I think it's a pretty good analogy. Uh, and two ways that we can fall into uh, false observance of the Sabbath. One, by ignoring it and saying, ah, that's, come on, I can do my own things. I, I've got my own bench at home that I can sit on that, that fits me a lot better, and I'm more comfortable there than I am sitting on that bench. Or we can erect our fences around it and, and make it this thing where uh, it is the measure of piety and, and we watch to make sure you're not stepping over that fence, are you? And so I think that's a good way to, to think about it. And, and I think that's what we see between these passages in Isaiah uh, and in Matthew. Now, I want to switch uh, to more of a practical discussion because there are lots of questions about well, what does this look like? Observing the Sabbath, that seems awfully uh, ethereal. Uh, and so what does it look like to actually observe these things? Uh, if, if you've got questions, I'd love to hear them. Or what I'd love to do is to hear from you, because I know, as I said at the beginning, there are folks uh, in this room who make it a point to observe the Lord's Day in your home, and maybe you can help the rest of us. And so 
if, if there's somebody who, you know, maybe there's a, a particular tradition that you have in your home, a way that you set the Sabbath apart uh, that we can learn from. Does anybody have a way that they uh, set apart the Lord's Day? What are some of the things that you observe in your own family, in your own home, to keep it special, to make it special? Alicia? Yeah. <laughs> Here's the most important thing. That we would have a heart of worship on the Lord's Day. That you would be in the Lord's house on the Lord's Day. Um, that, that we would make it a point and to recognize wherever you are, whatever's going on, oh man, what a terrible week I had, but today is the day the Lord has made. And to start with that thankfulness, that's not always easy. There's some discipline that's involved in that. Yeah, good. I, I'm going to embarrass a family. Um, Joe, tell us about your tradition uh, with regard to after-dinner treats on the Lord's Day. Oh, yes. Yes, oh, I love this. Double dessert day, and I asked them, you notice what he said, I asked them one time, well, does that mean you get dessert at two meals, or does it mean that after a meal you get two desserts, and he said yes. <laughs> so it's actually double, double dessert day. Why do you do that in your household? Why, why Sunday for double, double dessert day? There, there are things that we can do. Sometimes when we think of keeping the Lord's Day holy, oh, again, it's this list of things we ought not to do. Or here's the day for rigorous spiritual activity and exercise. I think that's a, a great thing to do because it, it reminds us of the purpose of the day and what it's looking forward to, this eternal rest in the Lord. It, it conveys the truth of true Sabbath rest in Christ, the marriage supper of the Lamb, that it's going to be a feast of well-aged wine and rich food for all peoples to gather together. You know, if you, if you spend time in your spiritual disciplines fasting, let me suggest that you not fast on the Lord's Day. Make it a day of joy and gladness and feasting if you can. Because it reminds us of what the day is for. Thank you for being willing. I called on you, but thank you for sharing that. Jay. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I love what you started with. Make sure that mom doesn't have to do all the dishes. There, there are works of necessity and mercy on the Lord's Day. Your family's got to eat. Um, and there's a lot of stuff that you can do the night before if you're you know, having somebody over, if you're, and we'll talk about hospitality in a minute. Um, you know, if, if you're doing something like that, there's a lot of work you can do beforehand. But you have to eat. Uh, and let's not be too pedantic about who cooks and how much you can cook and what you have to do. But... Uh, but yeah, if, if there is one person, it might be the husband, might be the wife, who their normal work and chore throughout the week is to prepare food and to clean up food and to, and to keep up with these things, let's, let's balance a little bit. Let's make sure that this person is able to get some rest and, and experience some of the Lord's Day refreshment uh, and, and turn it into something beneficial. It doesn't have to be 
all right, we're all going to sit down and read the scriptures for the next seven hours until bedtime. No, 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 let's, what's going on in your life? What kind of conversations can we have to encourage one another in the Lord and, and using it to redeem the time? That's another way we can think about it, although it's not specifically tied to the Lord's Day in the New Testament. But Paul tells us to redeem the time because the days are evil. Make the most of your time. Don't, don't be a minimalist, uh, but use the Sabbath as, as maximalism. You know, what can we discuss? What can we pursue? What can we help one another with? And when you've got kids, that is part of the struggle, um, to make sure that, that they delight and understand what a delight it is to have a different day. Greg. Okay. Yes, that's right. <laughs> oh, it's preparation. Getting to bed early on Saturday night, making sure you've got gas in the car so you don't get in the car on Sunday morning and go, oh, you know, and preparing your day and and remembering the Sabbath on Thursday and Friday and Saturday as you're you're looking to the Lord's Day. And and you know what? Kids that grow up in households like that, that becomes normal life. They get to be adults and they go, well, of course I'm preparing for the Lord's Day and and let's go out and party on Saturday. Well, I got to go to church tomorrow. I get to go to church tomorrow, and so I want to prepare myself for church tomorrow. Yeah, good. How about, how about challenges? What do you find as major challenges? Maybe at different life stages, grown kids, younger kids, no kids, singles, married. What are some challenges to, to remembering the Sabbath day to keep it holy? Oh, man, I have it easy because Monday is my day off. So I don't have that pressure on Sunday evening. Oh, I've got a, I've got a test tomorrow morning. I've got this report that has to be in. Uh, and, and that drive to procrastinate, well, it's not Sunday afternoon. You know. Um, yeah, so that's a, that's a challenge. You, you really need to think. There's some discipline that's involved in, in doing this, though. Discipline that's worth the effort if we, if we believe the promises the Lord makes about uh, what he says he'll do. Dave? Oh, oh man. Do you check your emails that come up on your phone on a Sunday afternoon? What a, yeah. Um, one of the things that you find uh, that the Puritans love to do on the Lord's Day was to meditate on God's word. Like, take a walk, think about God's word, look at what he's made, spend time quietly in creation or quietly at home by the fireside, and just just diving into what God has revealed about himself. And we have lost the taste for that because it's, it's ping and it's pop and it's all these things and we're, we're accustomed to this and, and, and things break into where we are. And so we need to set fences, in a sense, it might be that in your work environment, you have to set an expectation. And some, one of your coworkers, oh, Dave didn't respond to that email. Of course he didn't respond. He never responds to emails on Sundays. Don't expect him to. <laughs> you know, it, it becomes this expectation, um, and, and then it's easier to, to live with, really, when everybody else knows. Uh, and, you know, maybe, maybe, maybe uh, somebody someday says, Dave, why don't you answer your emails on Sunday? I'm taking a rest in the Lord, my friend. Let me tell you about how good God is, that I don't need to jump at everybody's beck and call on the Lord's day. There are, there are emergencies that you have to follow through with, and there are things that happen. Uh, yeah, but, but putting fences around those things so that we can enjoy it. Mike and then Alona. 
Oh, yeah. 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 Just a catch up. Just like Saturday. Here's something that's encroaching into the church from the wider culture, that we don't do a good job of separating work and rest. There's supposed to be a balance in Scripture. Six days of work, one day of rest. Uh, and, and we find you know, that, that rest intrudes upon our work day because our, maybe our work days are stretched longer and longer and longer, and so we take longer breaks than we should. We pull up Facebook and we get lost for five minutes. 20 minutes, you know, and, and, and rest shows up where it ought not to, and work shows up where it ought not to, and we don't know how to divide them. We don't know how to parcel them out, and so when we get to Sunday, we have been imbibing that, that culture of work and rest commingled all week. Well, of course we're not going to learn to do it right on the Sabbath if the rest of our week is a mess in terms of we're working too much or we're resting when we ought to be working, or, you know. Uh, and, and Sunday feels like, this is, this is my only me day. This is the only time I have to do the hobby that I want to do. Well, maybe we need to reorder our schedules Monday through Friday. Maybe we need to lower other people's expectations of what we will produce. That's not easy. I, <laughs> believe me. Uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm not your boss that you have to report to. You're the one that would have to go to them and say, I, I need more time for my family uh, because I find that on the weekends I'm burnt out and I, I don't have a Sabbath rest like I ought to have. Yeah. Alona? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Lee, what do you think about that? Right? So, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, I would say that's a work of necessity and mercy. And that's generally, the, especially healthcare fields, that's the way it's seen. People get sick. People need care. People need surgeries. People need all sorts of things. Yeah. Praise the Lord for those who are working. Uh, on the Lord's Day, who are pulling oxen out of ditch and releasing women from bondages they've been, you know, all these sorts of things, yes. Um, and, and the challenge there would be, as well as you are able, um, can you work rest in somewhere, or I, I hate to say compensate for it some other time of the week. Um, and, and then the other question is, is your job really necessary? There are healthcare fields that we need. We need firemen and policemen, and you know we need all of these things to make sure society can run. But there are lots of people who just, because of the way our culture runs, oh, my job is necessary. Come on, you're a, you're a traveling salesman. You know, and Jay is a traveling salesman, um, and sometimes he gets called out, and I'm picking on Jay because I know I can. But but we need to think: Is my job actually necessary on the Sabbath? Uh, or is it something that I can, I can turn down? I think here's, here's something that is very hard when we're training young people and they're applying for their first job. And they go to the prospective boss and, and they say, what's your availability? I need somebody who can work weekends and evenings. 
and we train our kids when they're 16 to say, I can work Saturday, but I can't work Sunday. I really need somebody who can work Sunday. I'm sorry, I'm going to have to let that job go. That's hard. And it's hard to train our kids to do that, but it's part of delighting in the Lord to realize why do we have any good thing? Well, it's because God has provided. This was part of the Sabbath in Israel that it didn't matter if it was harvest time. You were supposed to stop on the Sabbath day. And it was a reminder that it's the Lord who gives the harvest. It's the Lord who brings uh, the, the blessing and, and fills the, the vats with oil and the granaries with grain. Yeah, and that's, that's hard to do. Okay, Jay, you want to fire back at me? Yeah, good, good. Check. Oh, man. Oh, man. Oh, man, they're all on Sunday. Yeah, yeah. So, so let me answer the easier one first. Sports on television. Uh, I would respond with Isaiah 58. Pleasure and idleness. Is it promoting the purpose of the day? Oh, I'm really rested. Why? What are you rested for? What are you delighting in? Is it... I, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> It depends how the game's going, I suppose, yeah. That's a good point. Um, and, and so here is something that's easy for me to say, because I, I don't care about sports. There are some people in the congregation who care about sports. Um, and, and you're going to find discipline in that area more difficult than I will. But maybe I'll find discipline in, in another area more difficult than you will. Um, and then it's the question of what about our kids? and commitments, and we want them to be on a sports team and to learn teammanship and all these other things. Oh, man. Um, I'm going to sound like a legalist, but and, and we haven't crossed this barrier yet. So ask me again in five more years when my kids are this age and they're coming home, they're saying, but everybody else gets to... Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and um, let me push back, better how? Um, does it serve the purposes of the day in a general sense, general physical well-being, or um, physical rest and recreation for the purposes of worshiping the Lord? Are there better works of mercy that we could do on the Lord's day for those troubled youth? Now, again, ask me in five more years, when, when my kids are that age, uh, and, and see how much of a hypocrite I am. Um, it's easy for me to say it now, and I know that a lot of you have been in that fire with your kids already. Um, but it, it comes down to, and this is why I don't want to tell you, Jay, you can't take your kids to this, or you, but we need to ask the question, are we, are we observing the purposes of the day uh, and pursuing rest and worship? If it's just giving kids a social thing, isn't there something better we could do? Um, what if we took all of the families in the church who were taking their kids to a ball game or to a, a whatever, and we had some sort of community block party where the kids were gathered and 
we gave some sort of a message and we taught them something, you know. And we say, well, kids won't come to that like they'll come to baseball, okay? People don't come to church like they come to a Pats game, uh, but I'm not wearing a referee's jersey. Uh, and, and we need to decide what is the purpose of the day. But that's, that's easier for me to say. Becky, and then we're going to wrap it up. Yeah. Yeah, if there are folks in the church who want to start an outreach event, let's do it on the Lord's Day. That's the perfect time for it. It's the perfect time when the rest of the world is off of work as well, and hopefully our schedules are already cleared. Uh, what a wonderful time to do that sort of thing. And, and it, you know, we, again, we get this idea that if we're observing the Lord's Day, it's so reclusive. It's so we're in our little Christian bubble. But no, that's the perfect time to, to have engagement with the world. Uh, and sharing the gospel. I, I wanted to mention hospitality. I, I could, we could point it to at least three different places in the New Testament where believers are commanded to practice hospitality. Hospitality on the Lord's Day is one of the best ways, I think, to, to observe the Lord's Day. To have someone into your home and to have a spiritual conversation with them. And we, we get finicky. I don't know what I would cook. and I, That's okay. Have leftovers. Have sandwiches. Have, have whatever. Um, but couldn't you do the same thing with your non-believing neighbor? We want to have you over. Do you have anything going on on Sunday afternoon? When we get home from church about 1.30, yeah, the service runs long, uh, but we'll be home from church about 1.30. Come on over. Let's just talk. And, uh, you know, well, what was your Sunday morning like? Yeah, we were in church, and this is, here's something we heard. And have you ever, do you think about things like that? What a wonderful opportunity to, you know, in Hebrews, where it says that we should seek to show hospitality to strangers, for some have entertained angels unaware. Show hospitality to strangers from the church. Uh, to use that to engage others, to draw them in. No, it's not this reclusive thing. Um, there's some discipline in all of these things. If you're going to engage in hospitality on the Lord's Day, we need to make sure that that doesn't, again, overburden the person who's normally cooking throughout the week. Uh, that it doesn't, uh, you know, that your kids aren't just off in a room somewhere while you're having a really spiritual conversation and who knows what they're doing observing the Sabbath. Um, don't overburden your schedule. Just as, as sort of a, a window into our lives, we try to do two weeks out of the month Sunday afternoon hospitality. Because one week is a fellowship luncheon, and we need one week at least where we can just be with our family and have a, a family Sabbath. But can't you use... Two Sunday afternoons, elders, if you're trying to get your, uh, your shepherding meetings in, pick somebody on your list and have them over. You know, what a wonderful opportunity for ministry, and you typically see that in, in the history of the Reformed churches especially. When do you write letters uh, to encourage people in the gospel? When do you send cards to missionaries? When do you go to visit the shut-ins and the sick who are uh, in? That's what you do on the Lord's Day. It's not sitting at home, twiddling your thumbs, waiting for it to be over. Uh, it's, it's a day of service very often, but service so that God's kingdom and his grace would be seen through us in the world and in one another. Great question. Uh, good. That answers all of your questions about the Lord's Day, right? Good. Good. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry, we're out of time. Oh, here we go. Oh, absolutely, yeah, and, and that's really difficult. Uh, and then you get people who say, well, in 321, Constantine invented the Lord's Day, and he didn't. Uh, you also saw a lot of the New Testament believers. Sure, sure. You also see a lot of, especially first century Christians, tons of slaves, so nobodies. They had to work seven days a week, ten days a week they had to work, you know, and, and it was every day of the week. You don't get a day off. And so they did what they could. 
And I think, what a, what a convenience. It's, it's almost like saying, I want to know how the early church studied the scriptures. Well, if they could get their hands on it, I bet they devoured it. Exactly. Um, and so what a blessing that we have God's word that we can discipline ourselves and delight in. What a blessing that we have the Sabbath that we can discipline ourselves in and delight in. Uh, but yeah, that's a legitimate question, absolutely. Um, how do we apply these things in different settings and different cultures, and what does that look like? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Good. So next week, we're going to have a missionary here. Please come back and hear from Stephen Atkinson, who is the director of Christian Witness to Israel. He's going to be here for Sunday school, and also he's going to preach in our service. He's an ordained PCA pastor. Uh, But please come back for that next week. Uh, The following week will be Easter Sunday, and we will not have Sunday school. So three weeks from now, we are going to wrap up our study on worship by looking at family and individual worship. So, and if you have any more questions, you can talk later or borrow the book. Uh, it's really good. Let's pray and let's go have some snacks.